0: So uh, I just love, uh, I mean, the Rise Conference this past uh, weekend, Friday to Saturday, it's always got to be a highlight of the year. I mean, right from the start, Zach and the choir sang that first song there, We Believe, and it was just like electric in here. Uh, It's one of the reasons I just feel so lucky to be a part of this church family. Uh, You know, sometimes people compliment us here and they say, you guys are so bold about the truth. You're just fearless to to preach about stuff and do stuff, and the thing I always tell people is, uh, it's easy to be fearless when you're in an environment, a family where people are going for it and they want it. And uh, so, it's, I just love. I mean, if we were anywhere else, it wouldn't. It just wouldn't be the same. And it's amazing to be a part of uh, part of this group here in this church, and I absolutely love it. But anyway, we're in this series now on uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're working our way through. Those of you who are who are new to the faith, who are new to the church here, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' biggest uh, single. Message or sermon in the in the Bible in the Gospels. It takes up Matthew chapters five and six and seven, and we've finished all. Of, we've just been working our way right through it, beginning to end, and uh, and uh, and so we've finished all of chapter five. We're a big chunk of the way into Matthew chapter six, and uh, and so we've come to verses five to fifteen of Matthew chapter six, which is the the Lord's Prayer, and uh, and so we're I'm I'm slowing it right down. I, I haven't just been taking off. Chunks at a time. If you're reading along in your Bible, many of your Bibles have headings, and that divide up the the the, uh, sermon on the mount into different sections. And I've basically just been doing a section uh, every Sunday in the message. But now in the Lord's prayer, I'm I'm slowing it down a bit, and the reason is uh, I just have no desire. I have no desire to just skim through the Lord's prayer. And uh, when I when I first started preaching. I remember uh, my, my goal was always to put as much content in, in the message as possible. And now I've gotten a little bit older. I'm not that old yet, I don't think, but I'm a little bit older. Uh, for some reason, I still speak just as long, but I try to have less content. Um, because the point is, I'm not, my goal isn't, here's seven things you need to know about prayer. And then at the, Because I just know myself, I can't apply more than one new thing to my life every week. I mean, at one, I'm really stretching, I'm pushing it. And so my goal is not to just fly through the Lord's Prayer and and change your prayer life in in one shot. Um, There's just so much there that I'm just slowing it down. And my goal is just to do one. I just want to hit one uh, thing every week. And hopefully as we begin to live that out, because the Lord's Prayer is just, it's just absolutely wonderful. And so I'm just going to read it to you again. We're just going to read the whole thing every week as we're doing this. And um, verses 5 through 15, last week we did verses 5 and 6. And uh, you can follow along on the screens there. But, and when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so we looked at that last week, and just an amazing promise that is. And then verses 7 and 8 And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And that's an amazing promise, and we're going to look at that today. And then verse 9, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we, have all, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Uh, Father, first of all, I thank you that we can call you Father, and that is already revolutionary. Thank you that we can come to you as kids to their dad and i just appreciate that so much i thank you that you are where we are faithless and up and down and not constant and not persevering but you are in all of that faithful and your faithfulness is bigger than our unfaithfulness and i love that about you too and i thank you for this teaching on prayer lord jesus and i pray that as we look at it today that you would fill our hearts with hope And that you would give us your Holy Spirit perspective, of prayer, that we would find joy in coming to you in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to spend some time on verses 7 and 8 today. And I'll just put those two verses up there and uh, read those two verses to you again so you see where we are. And Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I love that. What an amazing promise. It's beautiful. Your father already knows what you need. When you go into prayer, he already knows. This is the foundation. Even before we get to our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we're getting this foundation. Last week we saw that he will reward. He promises to reward us if we go to him in prayer. Today we see another foundation. As we go to him in prayer, you don't have to convince him of what your needs are. You're not surprising him with what your needs are. You're not trying to, you know, manipulate him and trick him into meeting your needs. He already knows your needs. We can, we can rest on that bedrock foundation. Tremendous, beautiful, wonderful promise. And we're going to look at that at the end of the message. But first, we, ha- we need to look at something else because Jesus makes an application here. And before we can get back to that promise, he makes an application in verse 7, which is because, because the Father already knows what you need before you ask him that affects how we pray. And so he says in verse 7, he says, as as a result of verse 8, because your father already knows, he says, I don't want you to heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words, okay? The King James Version and some of the other versions translate that empty phrases up there as vain repetitions. He says, "Don't, don't heap up vain repetitions. In other words, you don't have to repeat yourself over and over and over again because your father already knows what you need before you ask him, okay? Now, I want to look at that, but as we've seen all throughout this series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus preaches this message with, with passion. He doesn't put all kinds of caveats in the message. And so what's happened in modern times is many people have come to various passages, uh, pieces, parts of the Sermon on the Mount, and they've taken it to extreme places. And so before we even get into the promise, this is so important. The promise that the Father knows everything you need even before you ask Him is a wonderful promise. It's a necessary foundation for us as we approach prayer. But if we approach that promise out of its context, we can take it to a bad place. And I'll tell you, we're many Christians today, even if they wouldn't consciously admit it, but we're many Christians today. This is actually one of their favorite passages on prayer, But, but, but what they actually do with it is not good. They've taken it to this place of, Because the Father already knows everything you need in prayer, you don't need to really persist in prayer about anything. They might not say it that way, but essentially how they approach prayer is vain repetitions. You shouldn't repeat yourself over and over and over again in prayer. You don't need to pray long prayers. You don't need to have to continually pound and and pursue God and pound on the gates of heaven to get your prayers answered because your Father already knows what you need before you ask Him. And then they point to the other verses, therefore, you know, no vain repetition, no empty phrases, not lots of words, and they've, a lot of Christians today in the West have taken this verse sort of as their foundational verse for prayer, but they've taken it wrong, and it's kind of become Christian fatalism, which is, what prayer is, is I just, I'm just trusting God. I'm just, and doesn't it sound so good, I'm just trusting God, He's just going to take care of it, and you throw up, you know, a prayer once, Lord, I pray that you're going to, Take care of this situation, and now I'll just leave it in his hands. Hopefully, he's going to do something with it. But I'll just leave it in his hands. I don't need to tell him again and again and again. I don't need to come back to him in persistence because he already knows what I need before I ask him. And and so that's what this verse seems to teach. If we just took this verse all by itself, that's what I I keep saying throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Um, If you just took this verse all by itself, took it out of Scripture, and just put it all by itself, that is what we. You know, I mean, that I mean, it could be used to teach that that essentially you never repeat yourself in prayer, you never pray long prayers, you never have to persist in prayer about anything over and over and over again because God already knows what you need, therefore you just tell him once and then you just let him do what he's going to do. And it can sound spiritual in, in when people put it and then when they use this verse, but it's actually totally wrong as with everything we've been looking at with the Sermon on the Mount, we always have to take the whole counsel of scripture. And so the moment we read this, we cannot take this to mean that Jesus is saying you should never repeat yourself in prayer, you should never pray long prayers, you should never persist in prayer, because we know many other passages in Scripture where he teaches the opposite. And I just want to take you through those things, because if we get this part wrong, I don't want to get to the promise of the Father knows everything you need before you ask him. If we look at that promise without first making sure we understand here what Jesus is not saying, we're going to take that promise to a bad place. And so Jesus is not saying here that there's never a place in prayer for repeating yourself. There's never a place for praying long prayers and persistent prayers. And we know that because uh, of his example and what he teaches all over the rest of the Gospels. We'll just do a quick tour here through the Scriptures. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 13. It says this, In those days he, speaking of Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Okay? So Jesus was not just casual about prayer. In the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, the Father already knows all your needs, he's not saying we become casual in prayer. I'm just trusting God. He, just, he already knows all my needs, so I don't need to persist. I don't need to really fire into prayer here or push in. He just already knows my needs. That's not what he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And we see that here in Luke chapter 6. When he has to pick his disciples, he doesn't just say, well, the Father already knows my needs. Father, would you help me, uh, uh, would you help me pick the right disciples and then go to sleep, wake up in the morning, and just trust that God's going to do it. That's not what he does. He goes up on the mountain and he prays all night. Okay? Now, if the Son of God who is God, I mean Jesus is God, if he, the Son of God in the flesh, came, felt the need at times to pray all night about issues, how much more should frail and weak, you and I, sometimes in situations where we need to press into prayer like that. Clearly what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is not, oh, God already knows all my needs, I can just leave it with him, I don't need to persist in prayer. That's not at all. Throughout the Gospels, over and over again, Jesus teaching on prayer, he taught the importance that sometimes in prayer you absolutely must persist or you will not receive what God wants to give you. We see this in Luke 18, which I've preached on several times, but I want to read it to you. Again, I'm not going to make a lot of comments, but I'll just read it. It's such an important parable of prayer and many in the west we've totally lost this jesus says gives this teaching on prayer and he says this and jesus told him a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart in other words keep on praying and praying and praying and never give up he said in the certain city there was a judge who neither feared god nor respected man and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him okay repetitive over and over and saying give me justice against my adversary For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. This is Jesus' teaching on prayer, okay? I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Notice Jesus teaching here. Again, we cannot take what, whatever Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount there. He is not saying, hey, because the Father knows what you need in prayer, you can just be casual about prayer. You don't need to persist in prayer. You don't need to repeat yourself in prayer. In fact, you shouldn't pray long prayers. That's how a lot of Christians take it. I'm just gonna, they call trusting God, just, I'm just trusting him. And I just throw this up and hopefully he's going to do what he's going to do. Not what Jesus teaches about prayer. Throughout the Gospels, he teaches the importance of persistence in prayer. Uh, Luke chapter 11 I think it's Luke chapter. Let's just look it up. Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to go there right now. I don't have time. But Luke chapter 11, Jesus teaches another amazing parable. I mean, his his stories were so amazing. In Luke chapter 11, he teaches the the parable about prayer, that prayer is like you going to your friend's house in the middle of the night and beating on the door until you drive them crazy so that they give you what you want. Okay? This is not, oh, God knows all my needs, so I'm just going to trust him. I don't need to pray about it because he already knows. That's not what he was trying to say in the Sermon of the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, he says, keep on asking and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Clearly, Jesus believed in persistent prayer. I also want to show you the Garden of Gethsemane, last uh, passage I want to show you here, Matthew 26. I mean, talk about going into the school of discipleship with Jesus on prayer. This is what Jesus did when he was stressed. We saw him go up on the mountain and pray all night, when he needed to make a big decision about who his disciples were going to be. In Matthew 26, we see Jesus, what kind of prayer he did when there was stress, when there was a a situation coming. And this is what we find. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, that sounds, that, now that's the kind of prayer a lot of Christians will pray nowadays and they'll make it all sound spiritual. They'll just say, Lord, your will be done. And they'll just say it like that and it's not that it's bad to say that. It's not that it's bad ever to pray that. But what some Christians do, that is their prayer life. Lord, your will be done. And then it's just, you know, God knows my needs. So that's all I have to say and he'll take care of the rest. Is that what Jesus did? No. Did he just go away and just say one sentence? Lord, I just, you know, take this cup from me but your will be done? No. Look, look how long, he sa- says here in the next line. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. That makes me feel good, okay? And he said to Peter, "Uh, so could you not watch with me one hour? When he went away, he didn't just go away and casually say, you know, Lord, if it'd be possible, take this cup from me. He went away for one hour, and it's summed up in that one sentence, but he prayed about that one thing for an hour while the disciples fell asleep. He was pressing into God. He didn't just say casually, oh, Father, you know all my needs, so please just take care of it, and I trust you. No, I mean, that sounds so good on the surface, but it's not what Jesus modeled for us and taught us in prayer there's a place in prayer where the stress is high and you're 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 in the in the crucible and the heat is up and you're and there and there's pain and there's all this stuff and there's a place where you push into God and so he he prayed for an hour about that one you know that's summed up in that one sentence clearly he will have repeated himself at some point in there in different ways and in, and in different angles but he still wasn't done verse 42 again for the second time he went and prayed my father If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And in verse 43, And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Clearly, the picture of prayer that Jesus is modeling for us here and teaching us is not. It sounds so spiritual. I'm just trusting God. But it, and, and it sounds so spiritual and so wonderful. We do need to just trust in God. But it's not a casual trust where it's just like, well, he already knows might need a casual trust. It's a trust that comes out of paying the price in prayer. And there's a place. And it doesn't mean that we have to pray about this about every situation. I mean, there, you, know, there's just certain, you don't have to pray like this about what am I going to eat for breakfast. And do I need to discipline my child for this stupid thing? No, 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 no. Okay. But there are big things where we need to make decisions. There are things where there's big stress. There are things where we have big issues and big problems. And in those times... It might sound spiritual to just say, oh, I'm just trusting God because He already knows what I need. It sounds spiritual, but it's wrong. In situations like that, where you get trust is not from a throwaway little phrase, God already knows what I need. You get that in a place of pushing in in prayer. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have never been to that place, but there's just times in our lives, I don't know even how to describe it, but there's times... You know, where I've had a deep struggle in family or so- somewhere and it's a deep struggle and I need God to move and I don't know what to do. And it's in those times you go to Him in prayer and yes, it can be repetitive sometimes, but your heart is just burdened. And you just pray about the same thing and you pray about it over and over and over again. And it might take half an hour, it might take sometimes an hour, it might take you know, a few days in a row of doing that. But you you don't stop praying until it's like this weight comes off your shoulders. It's like this weight lifts, and now it's like, oh, I know know there's a breakthrough there. I know God heard, and out of that you say, now I have trust. But you've, you've pushed in with the Lord. Now, this is really important. You say, what does this have to do with Matthew 6? Let's go back there now. I had to lay that foundation because in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, people have just taken that to a bad place. Your father already knows what you need before you ask him. They've taken it to this place of, you don't need to have, there's no place for persistent prayer. There's no place for ever repeating yourself. There's no pra- place for long prayers. No, no, there are times in our lives when we need to push to push in like that. So you say, well, why would Jesus say, you know, don't heap up vain repetitions. Don't heap up, uh, heap up empty phrases. Don't think that your prayers are getting heard because of their many words. Okay, well, um, if we go back to the culture of Jesus' day, and it's actually even true today in many of the pagan religions, um, but many of the pagan religions even today, but certainly in Jesus' day, uh, the, they viewed prayer and the, the gods. They didn't view it as one god; they view it as the, the as the gods. But their their view of the gods and our view of God, totally different. And sometimes it's hard because we're raised in Christian homes and we're just raised with God as a father and you can pray to him from wherever, you can pray to him from your bedroom, you can, pray to him in a you can pray to him anytime, anywhere. We're kind of raised in that. It's hard for us sometimes to step out of that and think how anybody could think differently about prayer. But in many pagan religions even today, but certainly in Jesus' day, in the, in the Roman uh, pagan uh, religions of the day, how they viewed prayer and how we view prayer are very different. They viewed prayer in a very formulaic way. It wasn't relational, okay? The Romans had this pantheon of many gods they did not view uh, those gods they did not view uh, prayer as you can have a relationship with these gods okay they viewed prayer as when I have a need, I've got to do this formula I have to ask, I have to do the right sacrifice in the right way and say the right prayer in the right way in the right order to the right God if i'm going to have any chance of getting my prayers answered It wasn't about relationship, it was all about Uh, formula. And in fact, it was so formulaic, so in the the Roman culture of Jesus, it was so formulaic that there was actually people who were, made their living, they were professional, they were experts. They were specialists in prayer. So if you had enough money to do it, or if you were putting on a festival or something, and you wanted someone to say a prayer uh, for your festival, or you wanted someone to say a prayer for your family, or your business, or whatever, uh, you would hire a professional to do it and he would, because he knew which God you needed to sacrifice to, and he knew which prayer you needed to say, and he knew which order you need to do it in, and so you would pay him, because prayer wasn't just something where I have a relationship with, with this God, it was prayer is this formula that I manipulate, and I, if I do it right, then the gods will maybe do something for me, and there's even, like, there's, there's, uh, all kinds of stories like this. Archaeologists found this one, uh, manuscript, this, uh, one of the ancient Roman historians, actually, right from around the time of Jesus, this would have happened right uh, during the century when Jesus was was uh, on the earth here, and tells the story of this one big festival they put on in this one place in the Roman Empire. And they put on this festival, and they had this guy get up and say a prayer, because he always had to have these opening ceremonies and sacrifices and stuff. And he got up, and he said this long, long prayer. So he would say these long, long prayers, you know, oh, holy beings, divine beings, on behalf of blah, 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 we beseech you with blah, 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 that you could blah, blah. And they would just go on and on with these formulas and the right order and stuff. Anyway, this guy gets up. He says this long prayer for this festival. At the beginning of the prayer, he leaves out one Little phrase, it's like four or five words, basically, bless the Roman people or something like that. He yeah. leaves that at the beginning of the prayer. Now, hardly anyone notices, but there's this one, you know, there's always one, this one little minion probably somewhere, C personality probably. Um, <laughs> notices, hey, this guy missed something in the prayer. So he tells so and so. So the festival goes on. This guy says the prayer. The festival kicks off. They start doing the festival. This, someone tells someone, it goes up the chain of command, it gets to the top. Oh, this guy missed a part of the prayer stop the whole festival go back to the beginning you have to redo all the sacrifices you have to redo the prayer you have to start the whole thing again from scratch because otherwise it doesn't work that's the culture jesus is speaking into okay and so he says he's not talking about when he says do not heap up empty phrases he's not saying you can never repeat yourself in prayer he's not saying you never there's never a place when you need to just pray long and hard about something he's speaking about an abuse he's speaking in this culture that these people thought the power was all in the words. They thought the power was in the formula. You don't get anything from the gods unless you do it right, unless you have a specialist do it, a professional do it, and he does it exactly right. That's the only way to have any chance of getting it. Jesus says, the power's not in the words. It's not that you don't sometimes have to say many words, but the power isn't in how many words you say. It's not in the formula. It's not in the words. See, God hears the heart. That's the thing. See, and so he says your father already knows what you need even before you ask him, okay? God's paying far more attention to your heart than he is to which exact words you're saying. It's the same with me with our kids. Uh, I've got four kids. When they come to me and they ask me a request, I'm not looking at the phrasing of their sentences to decide what I'm going to do for them. Isn't that true? I mean, I'm, what I, when my kids come to me for requests, it's not so much the words. I mean, the words are an expression of their hearts. The words are important, but it's not the words. I'm not judging the phrasing. I'm not judging the vocabulary as to whether I'm going to answer them. It's just I'm reading their hearts. If they come to me disrespectful and demanding, it doesn't matter what words they're using, they're probably not going to get what they want. But if they use those exact same words and they come to me in pain, they're hurting, or they have a need, they're respectful, they're loving. If they, I'm reading the heart, if they come to me that way, same words here, same words there, but I'm, my response is different because I'm reading the heart. It's not the, the, the formula. It's not a formula. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage here. It's not a formula, like what everybody around you is doing in their religions. It's not who says the words. It's not what words they say. I'm looking at your heart the father already knows what you need now the moment i say all of this some of you go well that's obvious because you know probably none of us here i would assume have ever struggled with this idea that you know prayer is this you got to write out this perfect prayer and the right sacrifice We, we don't have that problem now so so we just think well that's not a problem we have anymore why even uh talk about it but like i always say human nature doesn't change we just have our own ways of thinking about formulas now. It's not like what the Romans did, but we have our own ways of doing formulas now. But it's amazing how many times I've heard over the years in, in church, and people will talk to me, and it's always well-meaning people, always. And they're in pain, but it's amazing to me how many times I've heard this, like someone, and it's, again, it's, it's always good people, and they'll be in pain about something, and a prayer isn't getting answered, and you'll hear people say stuff like this. And sometimes it's half-joking, sometimes it's not but you know there's a bit, just a tinge of bitterness there, a tinge of hurt. Now, I'm not saying it in a bad way, not criticizing, but a tinge of hurt. It's amazing how many times I've heard the phrase, um, I must not be praying right. There's this idea of I'm just not praying right. Maybe if I would have prayed, if I would have fasted seven days instead of five days. Maybe if I would have prayed an hour and a half instead of an hour. Maybe, like Chris, if you or one of the other pastors, you guys just know what to pray because you just hear God so well and, and we just put people on pedestals and maybe if you would have prayed the right prayer, but I just, I'm obviously not praying right. and It's almost in frustration we say, I must not be praying right. Well, that goes right back to what Jesus is saying here. This whole idea that you can pray right or wrong is this whole idea that there's, it's a formula, it's a formula that you can pray wrong or you can pray right. But the thing Jesus is saying here is it isn't a formula. It's not what you say. There's no right way to pray or wrong way to prayer, pray because the Father already knows what you need. It's a hard thing. It's a relationship thing. We see this throughout Scripture. There's many stories. I think of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Samuel's mom. She desperately wants to have a baby. She hasn't had Samuel yet. Year after year, she's just persisting. She just keeps asking God, well, oh, I want to have a kid. I want to have a kid. One day she's in the temple, and when she's praying, is she praying long, beautiful prayer? Is she praying exactly the right thing that the Holy Spirit told her to pray? No, she's just unburdening her heart, and she's so burdened in her heart for this, with this desire that she's mumbling, and she's mumbling. So this is not beautiful praying. This is not specific, perfect, beautiful, wise praying. This is mumbling, and the priest Eli, in fact, sees her. He thinks she's drunk. He rebukes her, and then she says, no, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring out my heart to the Lord. There's no formula to this. And then, of course, what does God do? He meets her in that. He answers her. I'm going to take you to another famous passage. We're going to take a few minutes here now. John 11. The the story of Lazarus. Hugely important this whole thing of, of formulas and prayer. And what makes a prayer powerful? Is it what you say? Is it who says it? What makes prayer powerful or not? Jesus says it's the Father already knows what you need. It's not a formula. John 11. Lazarus has died. Jesus heads over to his sister's place there Mary and Martha and we pick up the story in verse 17 now when Jesus came he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming she went and met him but Mary remained seated in the house Martha said to Jesus Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died Now, I underline that I want you to pay attention to that because we're going to see that in just in a moment uh, Mary prayed the exact same prayer word for word exact same prayer and we're going to see that Jesus responds in two different ways. Okay, exact same prayer, two different responses from Jesus. Okay. Verse twenty-three. Jesus said to her, "Your brother will rise again." So he's encouraging her. By the way, I mean, um, we're not putting Mary down or Martha down. You know, some people would just go, you know, Martha did it wrong and blah blah. She didn't do it wrong. She went to, to she went to Jesus. Imagine if someone died. You went to you know someone you loved very much died. Someone a close family member, a spouse, someone someone died. The next day you're praying to Jesus, and He encourages you, and He says to you, your you know your spouse or your brother or your child will rise again. Oh, I mean that would not be great encouragement. Jesus gives her a great encouragement. Martha's not bad here. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. he said to her, I am the resurrection of life. So not only does He encourage her about Lazarus. He gives her a revelation of himself. Again, imagine that someone you love very much has died, okay? And Jesus, and you're in prayer the next day or the next week or whatever, and Jesus, you know, encourages you about that person and then gives you a revelation of himself. It's wonderful. I mean, it's very good stuff Jesus has given her. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world, okay? So Martha goes to Jesus, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my my brother would not have died. She tells him this, okay? And then Jesus encourages her. Okay, wonderful, that's good, okay? Now let's see what happens when Mary goes, all right? When she, Martha, had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she, that's Mary, heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, again, I want you to notice, same exact prayer. Same exact prayer, okay? mean, you want to talk about prayer is not a formula, exact same prayer, I want you to see the difference from First prayer, no problem. Martha went to Jesus. Jesus gave her encouragement. Wonderful. Good for Martha. But I want you to see how Jesus responds to Mary's prayer. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Now, this is just so fascinating to me. Two sisters, both of them love Jesus. Both of them go and talk to Jesus, and they say the exact same thing. We have two different responses. In one, Jesus encourages Martha. In the other, Jesus himself breaks down, and he's moved in his spirit. Okay? Now, when we read these stories, again, we read these Mary and Martha stories all wrong um, because we read with our inferiority complexes. Many of us read the scriptures with an inferiority complex because we read and everything is, I'm just so unspiritual and God doesn't really care about me and well, my prayers don't get answered, blah, blah, blah. Many of us read the Bible kind of with that, at least subconsciously. And we read the Mary and Martha stories and the, the, instead of rejoicing at this story and going, oh, this is amazing, we just think to ourselves, well, I'm not Mary, I'm, I'm more the Martha type. And we just think that somehow Mary was somehow intrinsically more special. Mary was somehow intrinsically more spiritual. And we think to ourselves, well, I know Mary's in our church too. They're very spiritual. They love Jesus. Jesus loves them more. I'm just more of a regular person. And we read these stories as if Mary was more special. But the point here isn't that Mary was more special or Martha was less spiritual. The point of these stories is that we should rejoice because any of us can be a Mary on any given day. Any of us can be a Martha on any given day. Any of us can be a Mary on any given day. Any of us can be someone else on a given day. I mean, at least Martha went to Jesus. We can even be a different character entirely who doesn't even go to Jesus. The point isn't that anyone is intrinsically more special to Jesus that because Mary is so special and so spiritual, that's why Jesus did. The, re- the point is, Mary went to Jesus in a, in a different way than Martha did. And you and I, we're not trapped in being Martha, we can, Every time we go to Jesus, we can choose to be a Mary, we can choose to be a Martha... And the difference between how Mary and Martha went to Jesus, what well, we see it here is, says here, Mary was weeping, okay? Now, this isn't a new formula. It's not like, okay, crying. You know, the new formula is emotion. If you're more emotional in your prayers, your prayers get answered easier. No, that's just another formula. You know, and I've seen people do that, right? If, if you're crying, they try to cry, and they want to have tears, because so they think tears automatically makes your prayer better. This is not a new formula. The point is, though, that Mary went to Jesus raw Mary went to Jesus raw Martha didn't go to Jesus raw um you know I kind of picture Martha as you know kind of the the good Christian nice girl and uh, and it's but it's not just girls do this it's it's guys too in fact I think one of the things one of the reasons I love Martha so much is I've been one of those people I'm like trying to recover from this okay but you say what's the what's the the good Christian nice girl Um, these are the people or the good Christian nice guy these are the people, and I talk to them, you know, I didn't even used to notice this, but I notice it now often when I talk to people, and I think the reason I didn't notice it for so many years is because I do this. But many people, you talk to them, and they'll tell you all the bad things. They'll tell you a whole string of bad things that have happened to them in their lives, huge disappointments, people have hurt them, people have taken advantage of them, this and that, and they'll just tell you this whole string of things. But when they tell you all these bad things that happen to them, they're almost like robots. And at the end of it, they cover up all this hurt with very spiritual-sounding phrases. So you think, that person is so mature. They're handling this so maturely. I, I mean, I'm just so, I've been so like this. And they'll say stuff like, at the end of it, they just tell you all this string of things that have happened to them in the last couple of months or the last year, and they say, and I, and I just know God has a plan and all this. I know He's going to turn it out for my good. And you think, wow, that just sounds so spiritual. But actually what's happened in many cases it does sound spiritual. They'll put some spiritual phrase over I know. I know Jesus is doing this, and, I've, and I'm just, I just got to forgive them, and I, I got to do this, and I, I know God. And really what it is, is they actually don't let themselves feel their pain. They're actually just covering up their hurts and their pain with spiritual phrases. God's in control. It's God's plan. I've left it in God's hands, which all sound very nice and very wonderful, but in actuality, you're not actually... F- you're, you're actually not dealing with your pain. What happens when you do this is you actually put walls around certain parts of your heart and you don't let Jesus into those parts because you don't think he wants you to feel those things. And so what happens is, I'll tell you a formula. Many of us, we don't use formulas like the pagan Romans use formulas. but We have a different formula and, here, and it absolutely kills our prayer times. In our prayer times, We always try to tell Jesus what we think he wants to hear, not what we really feel. We always try to tell Jesus what we think he wants us to hear, not what we really feel. So we don't tell him. There's certain things that we really, really want in our lives, but we close those areas off to Jesus because we think, he would think that's unspiritual. I can't talk to him about that. And so I'm not going to pray about that. That's just sort of on the side. I do that on my own, but I don't pray to God about that because I know he wouldn't like that. And I don't pray to him about this. Like, I actually really feel offended at so-and-so because they really hurt me, but I know I'm not supposed to feel offended, and I think Jesus would reject me if I showed him that. So I just put spiritual phrases over that, and I'm just forgiving him, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. And we just, we use a formula, which is, I'm going to tell Jesus what I think he wants me to hear, not who I really am. You know, how would that ever work in marriage? Can you imagine in your marriage with your spouse if your spouse only ever told you what they thought you wanted to hear. They only, they, and if you ask what do you want to do, well, what do you want to do? Lots of you are in relationships like that, right? What do you want to do? I don't, I don't know what I want to do. What do you want to do, right? You get in this place of, and, 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 and your relationship, you actually never want to tell each other. You, you're trying to always tell them what you think they want to hear. You're always trying to like what they, you think they want you to like. You, you only want to do what you think they want you to do. And you can't actually be honest. In fact, we often, we do this subconsciously. And, uh, but how would you feel in a marriage if, over the years, the only thing your spouse ever told you was what they thought you wanted to hear? Now, some of you are going, hey, I wish my spouse would do that, right? <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, yeah, it, for, for a month, that would be amazing. And then eventually, you'd be like, I'm married to a robot. Like, I actually want to know who you are. I don't just want to know your strengths. Don't have this mask on in front of me. Of you trying to present to me what I wanna see, I actually love you. I wanna know what you really feel and what you struggle with and what you really like and what you really don't like. I wanna know you and I wanna be in a relationship where I can really be me and I can tell you what I really like and don't like and I can tell you what I really struggle with and don't struggle with. And that's what a powerful relationship actually looks like that has joy in it, that has intimacy in it. That's actually what a real relationship looks like. Well, the fact of the matter is, but many of us don't do that in prayer. Martha goes to Jesus in prayer, and, and, and she's trying, the thing is, she's not bad. She's trying so hard to be good. She's hurting like crazy over her brother, but she won't even let herself really feel those feelings because she's like, well, I know I shouldn't be totally depressed because he's going to rise again. She says, he's going to raise again. I know, Jesus, that's totally true. He is going to rise again. And, and she says, I'm the son of God. And she says, I know you're the son of God. And she just, she just, Covers it over, but Mary, what does Mary do? Is Mary more spiritual than Martha? Is she more, you know, just special to God? No, they're both regular people. They're both daughters of the Father. He loves them both. But how does Mary go? Does she go to Jesus more spiritual or does she just go to him more raw? She just goes to him more raw. She just goes to him and weeps and just says, I'm hurting. And somehow in the weeping, she trusts that Jesus is not going to reject her for what she's feeling. And as a result, now the amazing thing is, just like in a marriage relationship, if you have two people just putting on masks and trying to always say what the other person likes rather than being who they really are, you're never going to get deep, real deep in that relationship. But the moment you have a relationship where the two can take off the mask and they can just be absolutely, totally real and honest with each other, and I'm not talking about in an ungodly way in a hurtful way that that's stupid that can be taken to an extreme as well and I've heard people do that with prayers well I've heard people teach you know you can just yell at God and rage at God and he can handle it because he's strong and that's not what I'm talking about here but where you can be honest with yourself and God and actually just say you know what I know that ultimately your Bible, that the your word says I can't be bitter at so and so but to be honest with you right now I'm really mad and to trust that he's not going to reject you for feeling what you're feeling. When you can begin to be honest. Many of us can't even be honest with our own selves about what we're really feeling, what we're really doing because we're afraid that we're afraid that God will reject us. And as long as you're doing that in prayer, your prayers will be robotic. They'll just be robotic and dead. It's just a formula. And so Martha goes to Jesus, and they have this back and forth, and she gets a bit of encouragement, but that's it. Mary goes to Jesus, and she just trusts, he's not going to reject me for feeling with him what I'm actually feeling, and she's just hurting. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. She's not disrespectful about it, but she's just raw. She's just real about what she's actually feeling. And then what happens is she opens up that part of her heart to Jesus. What happens to Jesus? He weeps. I mean, this is just mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. The creator of the universe who knows all things, he made everything, he's all powerful, has made himself so vulnerable to me and you. He's not, it's not that Mary is so super special. I I, I gotta keep saying that. Because we just read this story and go, oh, I could never be a Mary. Yeah, it's, it's just your choice, how you go to Jesus. It's not because of who she was. It's just, we're all sons and daughters. She just opened up her heart and the creator of the universe has made himself so vulnerable to us. That if we will open up our hearts and take off those masks and just be real with him, he will, and he will not reject you in that realness and honesty. He will meet you, and that's what moves him. So she opens up her heart to him, and that moves him. And now it's like, I, now I'm going to do something. Now, it's not like and now he then goes on and raises Lazarus from the dead. It's not that you're always going to get a spectacular physical miracle just like that. But every time you are honest with Jesus, you will find a couple of things. First of all, you will find that he accepts you in that honesty as long as you don't do it with a wicked heart where you're just raging at God or something stupid like that. I'm not talking about the extreme. But I'm talking about where you're just actually honest about being bitter, about being angry, about being whatever, about hurting. And you go to him, you'll find that he meets you in that and he doesn't reject you. And then you will find that his heart moves and there's a connection in the relationship and that's when prayer begins to come alive. And he will move on your behalf. It might not be the physical miracle always, but he will move and he will answer. The father instinct kicks in. So Mary goes to Jesus, and she's just real, and she's just raw. She's just a regular person. So you say, okay, again, we're Sermon on the Mount. Have to do Sermon on the Mount. We go back to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, the power in prayer is not in your, in, in your words or how long. Yes, there's a place for persistence. We saw, I showed you all those passages about persistence in prayer. And there's some things, if you don't persist, you're just not going to, you're not going to have that breakthrough. But the power doesn't lie in the amount of words you say. It doesn't lie in the phrases. The power is in the heart. Sometimes it just takes a lengthy fast to get your heart to that place. But it's not, you know, I fasted six days and then this happened. Now everybody goes, okay, if I do a six-day fast, it's going to happen. The, the power is not in the number. Sometimes you just need a lengthy fast to get to that place where you can open up to him and where he can really begin to move. But the power is not in six days or one day or an hour and a half or, or half an hour the, Power is not in the formulas. He already knows what you need even before you ask him. The power is in the heart. When you approach him as child to father and you open up to him, that's what moves his heart. But again, something inside of us just resists this teaching because we are so given to putting people up on pedestals. And we just think, you know, uh, we just subconsciously, even if we would never consciously say it, many of us, we just subconsciously feel so inferior when we go to God, we just think, well, yeah, if Pastor Ray would pray about it, I bet you it would get answered. You know, if, if Chris, I mean, he's up on stage and he's talking about prayer a lot, or if Grace Fast, some of these super spiritual people, if they would pray about it, it would get, and you just think, like, my prayers won't do it, but if one of them would pray about it, that would, that would maybe do it. But the thing you have to understand is, if Jesus came into this room right now, we would all be absolute regular people in front of him instantly. There is no, the moment Jesus, on Judgment Day, when we stand before Jesus, it's not gonna be like, oh wow, you know, Pastor Ray, you know, Chris, whoa, you know, spiritual giants. No, no. When we stand before Jesus on Judgment Day, it's gonna be all a bunch of little, woohoo lemmings, just, what same level. <laughs> same level. None of us is special when Jesus, I mean, we're all special in a the, in the, in the good sense, but none of us is like, wow, what an amazing spiritual giant. In the presence of Jesus, we're all regular. See, I'll tell you what we, what we mix up. We mix up authority and gifting with God's favor and love. We mix up authority and gifting with God's favor and love. Here's what I mean. In order to organize the church so that there's not chaos, God has to raise up leaders to lead and organize. He just does. And so he gifts many different leaders at many different levels for many different things. He gifts leaders and gives leadership. And because otherwise, you have chaos in the body. So he raises up a pastor, Ray, and he says, lead the charge. And he puts someone like me on stage, and he says, teach and shepherd and, and do that stuff because you just have to have those gifts. You just have to have them. And he raises up a grace fast to, you know, lead the charge on prayer and all this stuff. And he raises up these leaders. But you know what? We make the mistake. We see leaders on stage. We see them in the spotlight. We see big ministries. And then what we, we confuse is that person is extra special to God. They're a leader. They're leading lots of people. They're speaking. They're in the spotlight. Everybody's listening to them. They're extra special to God. They're extra anointed. If they would pray, that's more powerful. They're extra God's favor. God, listen. I mean, Chris is on stage all the time. God's clearly listening to his prayers more than just little, little old me. We have this idea that gifting and authority means favor and love, and it doesn't have to do with that. It has to do with Jesus just organizing his his church on judgment day, when we all stand before Jesus, it's not going to matter who led 10,000, who led 1,000, who led 100s, who led ones. It's not going to have anything to do with gifting. It's going to have to do with heart. It's going to all come down to who loved Jesus and who loved people. That's why Jesus said, in the end, the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last. That doesn't mean, I mean, every leader is going to be at the back of the line because I would just quit right now, okay? Some (laughs) leaders will be found faithful. But the point is, there's going to be lots of people where it's like, that guy was a huge, anointed, amazing speaker, massive ministry, lots of books, all sort of stuff. Why is he at the back of the line? Because Jesus doesn't, that's not the stuff that impresses him. That's not what would you get judged on. It's going to basically come down to who loved God, who loved people, and there's going to be tons of people at the front of that line that every thought, that was the most regular person I ever saw. They didn't look pious. They didn't speak in all kinds of spiritual tones, and they didn't, you know, they, they were just regular, regular people, and they went to work every day, but inside they just had a love for Jesus, and they were faithful in service, and they loved people, and those are going to be the people that everybody's going to say, what are they? They're at the front of the line because they loved Jesus. But we've got people on pedestals, and you see this. You know, you know one of the places that we see it? I see it in, in conferences, okay? Oh, I better just, rabbit trail, pause, caveat. It's not bad to go to conferences. I go to conferences. I've gone to conferences. It's not bad to travel places and learn things and hear from different speakers. I just want you to hear that. But I'll tell you something that I see. People running all over, they're looking for that, if I could just get prayed for by that famous anointed author speaker. If I could just go to that ministry over there where I've heard all those amazing stories, it's this anointed ministry. If I could just go there, and get them to pray over me or prophesy over me. If I could just go over there and hear that amazing leader, if I could just have them speak over me or pray over me or, or touch me or whatever, I'm going to get an anointing. We're looking for something, and we think we have to go 10,000 miles away to get it. We think we need a famous anointed speaker or a famous anointed leader in order to get that. And again, it's not bad to go to conferences, not bad to go places and learn things, not to go ba- bad to go and see things. Certainly there's, there's giftedness and, and certainly, you know, someone who walks with the Lord, someone who doesn't walk with the Lord, there's a difference between when they, when they pray with you or they pray for you. But the thing is, you don't need to go 10,000 miles away for that. You don't need to go 10,000 miles away for that. You know what that is? That's putting our faith in people. It's turning prayer into a formula again. If I can just get the right specialist, if i could just get the right person to pray for me that person's more powerful there's no such thing as more powerful. god is powerful the power isn't in some you know the power isn't in, you know if i get chris or pastor grace if they would pray for me then it would then I, that would be my fix no no the power is in god the power wasn't in mary over martha the thing the power was in jesus mary just went to jesus and she was real and we are all daughters and sons, if you've given your life to Jesus, of the Father, which means you have just as much potential to move His heart as I do, or the most famous, gifted, anointed speaker, leader, author out there. We don't put our trust in people. See, I think actually, long term, and again, not bad to travel, not bad to do all sorts of stuff, but let's face it a lot of what's happening with people these days traveling and going to see all this stuff is because they're just discontented in their walk with the Lord and they're looking for a one time fix. They're looking for that one person to pray for them, that one ministry touch, that one place that if I visit it, it's going to fix me on the insides. I'm going to have that experience with Jesus that I always wanted. And the fact you don't realize is, God's plan, if, if, if we had to travel to the most anointed places and the most anointed teachers in order to get a touch from God, that means 90% of Christians today are doomed because they don't have the money to travel. They're just stuck having to live with regular people. Ho, oh, ho, poor them. But the fact of the matter is, do you want to know how God actually works long-term change in our lives? I'll tell you. Yes, some of those experiences when you travel and do that. And again, I've done that. And it's not bad to travel and learn. But I'm talking about, for some people, it's actually unhealthy what, what's happening, what they're looking for. But long-term, you know, what the, you know what? You get the rush. You can get a rush, and it feels Exotic. And you, say, but, and you say, well, look at I just had this rush and I had this feeling. You know what the long-term fruit of most of that traveling is? Very, very little. Again, if, if our fruit comes from tra- having to travel to anointed people, most of the Christians in this world are doomed because they can't travel. Because God's actually, you know how he works? He loves to work through regular people. Because he's the powerful one, not the people. And you say, well, certainly I'm going to get more if so-and-so from 5,000 miles away prays for me than so-and-so in my cell who has a Mennonite last name and a low German accent. Surely that's not, not going to work. I need the guy who wrote 10 books. That's going to make a difference in my life. No, it's God you pray to. And long-term change is affected by God. He puts regular people together because he doesn't want the people to get the glory. And over time, as those regular people seek him together and commit to each other and serve each other, he does the work over time and radically changes us. That's where long-lasting fruit comes through. That's his plan. It's called the local church. Throughout history, that's been his plan. So prayer does not get more powerful because of who prays or what you say. We're all God's kids and if you open up your heart to him, you will move his heart. And then where the hope comes in is then we get back to that promise we started with. The hope comes in is that when you go to him in prayer, is that he already knows your needs. So that doesn't mean we just flippantly go, oh, I don't need to pray about it. No, that's actually the invitation to come and talk to him. He already knows your needs. So you go to him, you don't have to convince him, but you go to him and now you open up your heart with him and you move his heart and now he answers your prayers and you get filled with joy. See, John 15, Jesus says, ask whatever you want in in my name, ask the Father whatever you want in my name, and your joy will be complete. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. One of the most exciting things in a Christian life is you have a need, you have something you need Jesus to do, you have something that that you need him to move in, and you go to him, and he does it, and you experience God. That's like the most exciting thing, your joy is complete. You say, well, he already knows my needs. Why do I have to go to him and pray? And the reason is because most of us are so unspiritual and worldly that if we didn't have any needs, we wouldn't go to him. And I include myself in that list. So he strategically puts needs in our lives. It's like fishing. He's got bait on the hook, and the bait on the hook is strategic needs in our lives where he makes sure that we will run smack dab into the brick wall of our own shortcomings. He gives us a kid that we, we've... Before we had kids, we were so wise. Isn't that true for all of us who are parents? Before I had kids, I knew exactly how to parent. And I was so wise. And people would just parent this way and just discipline consistently and just, you would have good kids. And then you have kids. And he gives you at least one, right? He gives you at least that one. And you run into, I don't know what to do. I don't know anything. And you start to pray and just says, oh, thanks for recognizing that. And you go to him in prayer. And now he begins to move in your life. And he begins to move on your behalf. And he begins to work things out. And you go, oh God, you're amazing. And your joy is complete. He puts strategic needs in your life so that you'll come to Him. Not such a flippantly say, I'm just trusting Him. It's so that you will come to Him in trust and open up your heart to Him and He will move in your life. And that's actually exciting. And actually your prayer life begins to come alive. So, I'm going to leave you with this weekly challenge and then we're going to sing. Weekly challenge this week. Two or three things I, I want to help you in your prayer life. Identify two or three of the following from your life and write them down. I, w- I want to because again, many of us are like robots in prayer. We don't know how to be anything but robots. All we know to do in prayer is just tell God what He thinks we want us, to, what we think He wants us to say, or what we think He wants to hear from us. Identify two or three of the following from your life: a struggle, a fear, something that needs major improvement. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe your marriage, maybe it's not totally on the rocks, maybe you're not about to divorce, but it's just blah. Maybe it's just like 10 years of of blah, and I don't even know how to go farther, and it's just, there's criticalness in there, and there's stuff like that. But you don't pray about that, because it's just like, I I don't want to admit to God, or I don't, whatever, or I don't know I can can pray about that. And so you just push that aside, and you try to do spiritual things in your devotions. Jesus says, come to me with your needs. Those needs are put there, so you would come to me to talk about them. You need to take off those the, the, the masks over those parts of your heart that are keeping me from meeting you in the in places you most desire. A need, a relational problem, a family problem. Take some time this week and just write down. Pick two or three of those things. Put two or three things down on a piece of paper and just begin to admit to Jesus where you actually are at, what you're actually struggling for with, what you actually desire. And then one at a time. Don't do this all at one time with all, you know, those two or three. But then one at a time. Take a day and take one of those things And tell God what you're feeling. Just actually be honest with Him. I'm actually mad about this, God. I'm actually bitter at so-and-so. And And you just admit it to Him. And trust that He's not going to reject you for feeling something. Now, of course, you don't want to stay in the bitterness long term. But unless you actually just open that up to Him, He'll never be able to heal it from you. If you just push it down and cover it with spiritual feelings, it's still there. I'm actually upset about this. I'm actually... Lord, I got to tell you, I'm disappointed, and actually just admit it, I'm actually disappointed in our marriage. You can say that to God. Some of you are afraid of admitting that to yourself. I'm actually just disappointed with where our marriage is at. Lord, I'm frustrated. I'm terrified for my kids. Tell your kid that you can tell God, I've actually gone to God, and be honest about things you're afraid of about Him. Say, Lord, I'm actually afraid to do listening prayer, because I'm afraid you're going to ask me to do crazy stuff. Just open up your heart. Those things are already there. You're just keeping keeping them hidden with spiritual phrases so he can't get in. And that's why your prayer is robotic. It's just a formula. Tell God what you're feeling. Write it down. Feel your pain and your desire fully in his presence. This is what prayer is. Taking off your masks with God. Feel your pain, your desire fully in his presence. And then ask him to show you his hopeful heart for that issue and i put the word hopeful in there it's so important when you go to prayer everything do you know that jesus never feels hopeless about anything i mean you wouldn't either if you were all-powerful and all-knowing isn't that true i mean if you were all-powerful he doesn't feel hopeless about things we feel hopeless so we go to prayer we open up lord jesus this is where i'm at this is what i'm struggling with and then we ask him for his heart on the issue his hopeful heart And he begins to show you, actually, that situation with your kid, it's not hopeless. Here's my heart. Here's what I want to do. Here's how I want you to feel. That business situation, that disaster that's forming, actually, it's not hopeless. And he shows you his hopeful heart for that issue. And then after that, you can pray to him. You can pray your request with hope because you've been completely vulnerable with him. You've shown him exactly what you feel. He has not rejected you. Now you have his hopeful heart on the issue, and prayer becomes fun. Prayer becomes a joy because now you're praying out of hope. You're praying out of his hope and you've moved his heart because when you open up your heart to him, you will move his heart. You don't need some anointed, famous speaker to pray for you. You don't need some big leader to pray for you. Just you and the regular people around you because we're all regular in Jesus' eyes. You just go to him and as a daughter and as a son of of, of the Father, you can open up, you can move his heart just by opening up your heart to him. I want to pray and then we're going to sing. Lord Jesus, I thank you I thank you for this teaching on prayer, that prayer is not a formula. It's not who prays. It's not what words we pray. It's just us coming to you and being real with you. And in that, Lord Jesus, wow, that you made yourself so vulnerable to us, that when we open up our hearts to you, your heart moves. And you love that when we come to you like that. And you love to answer our prayers. And there's no one person in this world who is more powerful and and more able to get answers to prayer than someone else. We're all just sons and daughters. We can just come to you and you want to listen to us. Give us that hope and that faith as we begin to pray. Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. In your name we pray. Amen.